All right, all right. I'm not ashamed to say that I trained some years ago, but not like super long ago, but some years ago, let's just say, when antenatal corticosteroids were given weekly. I mean, that was the original trial. Yeah, these poor women, every eighth day, so after the seventh day, women received their antenatal corticosteroid for fetal lung maturation up until 33 weeks and six days. Yeah, that was a lot of steroids every single week. Of course, now ACOG recommends a single course of corticosteroids for fetal lung maturation without a doubt, with no controversy from 24 weeks and zero days up until 33 weeks and six days. Yeah, just an evolving story, isn't it? The whole steroid thing during pregnancy. And then remember the last practice advisory from September 2021, where ACOG actually said, hey, you can actually consider steroids as early as 22 weeks and zero days. But under 22 weeks, there's just really no benefit, okay? So we moved that down from 24 all the way down until 22 weeks and zero days if the patient desires full neonatal research. Resuscitation. Then comes the other side of the coin on the other extreme, which is steroids in the late preterm interval. The ALPS trial, which was the antenatal betamethasone for women at risk of late preterm delivery, which was published in the New England Journal of Medicine back in April of 2016. I mean, just shook up the world of obstetrics because, oh my goodness, maybe we could reduce some short-term respiratory morbidity in these children. And so steroids became a thing between 34 weeks and 36 weeks and 6 days. I mean, everybody was jumping on that bandwagon. I mean, they were like, hey, this is great, but my, 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 in just a few years, everything changed. Well, well, well. How the turntables. Yep, as of the current state of early 2024, people have bailed from that boat. I mean, really, I mean, they've jumped off left and right, especially given steroids in the late preterm interval. And there's been a lot of new data that we better get this right because if we give steroids in an attempt to be patient conservative and as a patient advocate to try to protect that child, but then that child goes to deliver either late preterm or term, while we're super happy that we avoided a preterm birth, yeah, we may have not done that child any huge favors. Because as it turns out, that hit, that in utero steroid imprinting can follow that child long term. So in this episode, we're going to go through this super fascinating and super evolving, fast evolving story on antenatal corticosteroids. Now, I want to say it right from the beginning. I am not against giving steroids in the peak time of 24 weeks and 33 weeks and six days when we can accurately try to predict that that child is going to be delivered preterm. But at the same time, I'm completely against the, well, let's just give steroids because it can't hurt deal because we know now that it can. Unfortunately, we don't have a super good way to predict which children will actually be born preterm, where they can have the maximum steroid protection. So we're going to lay all of this out. But man, is this evolving. Look where we've come. From training from steroids every seven days because of the original trial to now going, whoa, 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 let's back away from the steroids unless we are pretty darn confident that that child is going to deliver within seven days of that steroid exposure and ideally 
preterm, and I mean ideally preterm, not in a weird way, but I mean where we're going to have the maximum steroid benefit because otherwise we may not have done the child any favors. It is super interesting and it makes sense. And we're going to make it very clear here. The two big factors that come into play here is the age of the child, the estimated gestational age when the child was exposed to the steroid and when the child ultimately delivers. Those two factors are the only two things that will decide whether the child will have benefit from the steroid and and reduction in, in morbidity and mortality or potentially some neurodevelopmental issues. So, I'll be very clear. The two factors are the estimated gestational age when the child was exposed to the steroid and why, when that child was ultimately born. Wow, super interesting. We're going to make it super plain and super clear in this episode. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Before we hit the data hard, uh, let's say right at the beginning, ACOG still has their opinion that in the right context and with adherence to uh, the original protocol of the ALPS trial, that steroids in the late preterm interval can be considered from 34 to 36 weeks and six days as part of shared decision-making, okay? So it, it has not ex it, although there are calls towards a college to ex it. Okay, I'm going to tell you where that's coming from in just a minute. But just like with our immediate last episode, which dealt with the levonorgestrel 52 milligram intrauterine system as emergency contraception, and we highlighted the fact that there are professional groups and organizations that are absolutely for it as emergency contraception, and then those that are absolutely against it. So, you know, you're like, wow, can we just agree on something? But that's the art of medicine. Medicine is a science and an art. And I gave you my opinion based on the data and in proper perspective in that last episode that I think levonorgestrel 52 milligrams as an intrauterine system has a role for emergency contraception um, when you put it into the perspective of all the field of options for emergency birth control, unless evolving data says, hey, that's super bad idea, we should stop doing that. But we're not there yet. That data is evolving as well. But as it relates to our topic now, just as there was a very... Uh, diverse and dichotomous opinion regarding the levonorgestrel IUS for emergency birth control. It's the same thing here, guys. It's very dichotomous between those who are for steroids, especially in the late preterm interval, and those that are against. Now, when we talk about steroids in pregnancy for antepartum uh, fetal lung maturation, uh, we have to put it into perspective, okay? Because while there's no controversy between 24 and 0 and 30 uh, 
three and six, it, it, the two other bookends are super controversial. 22 weeks and above, you're like, oh, I don't know. Is that really going to do anything? Shared decision-making, only if the child, uh, the parents are going to agree for, you know, complete resuscitation. And the same thing uh, at the end, at late preterm interval, because the benefit there is, is let's be honest, is very weak. It's, it only has to do with short-term respiratory issues, and there are some real potential negatives, as we've all talked about um, in this uh, episode, in past episodes here on this channel, uh, and of course, has been all over uh, our literature as OBGYN and women's healthcare providers, right? That steroids in the late preterm interval where those children then go on to deliver at term could have been uh, could take a little hit in because of the steroid imprinting and I'm gonna give you that science in a minute um, because we, we kind of forced them ready to extra reader in life and then said just kidding and then they got to term so super controversial at the bookends okay but we're, what the new data is now showing is We've got to find a better way to risk stratify which children are most likely to deliver preterm and then give them the steroids. But all of this, oh, you know, she's fingertips, she's contracting, you know, she's 30 weeks and she hasn't made cervical change. But I'm going to give her steroids just in case she changes. Don't do that. Don't do that because what the data is now showing, of course, we know that at least 50% of patients who present with signs or symptoms of preterm labor will get to term. And if that child that was exposed to antepartum steroids gets to term, we've, we've kind of given them a, 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 a bad card deck, okay? Because regardless of where they were in gestational age, if they receive steroids and then deliver either late preterm or term, which is fantastic, we don't want them to deliver preterm, but the negative side effect of that steroid exposure is, yeah, they have actually an increased risk of both short-term and long-term issues, long-term mainly being neurodevelopmental issues. Now, some of that data is kind of mixed quality, very heterogeneous, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you why those two things that we mentioned at the intro are the most important here regarding the benefit or potential risks of steroids. The first is the age of the child, of the fetus, when steroids were given, and second, when that child ultimately delivers, okay? Because we now know if the child gets steroids at 25 weeks and then delivers a week later at 26 weeks, we've done that child a huge favor because we're going to reduce morbidity, potentially reduce mortality, because that steroid has now prepared that child for extra-uterine life and for oxygenation at the lungs, uh, along with other potential benefits, including a potential for reduction in uh, neuronal injury, maybe some um, intraventricular hemorrhage, that data's a little gray, but it's definitely beneficial. If, however, that child gets steroids at 25 weeks and then delivers late preterm, say 36 weeks, we're like, whew, we dodged that bullet. Remember when we gave you steroids? Sure did scare us there. Well, yeah, I'm glad you got to late preterm, much better than being born super early, but we may have imprinted you. So this is why, guys, it's super important. The age of the child, when the child saw the in-utero exposure to medication, whether it's betamethasone or dexamethasone, the most people use celestone, betamethasone, and then when that child ultimately, ultimately delivers. I'm going to go through all of the science, and it's fascinating because where that child was in his gestational age when steroids were given is going to either help the brain or not help the brain. 
wow, is that crazy or what? It's not the same effect. It the, the effect on the brain from these antenatal corticosteroids for fetal lung maturation is totally dependent on the child's gestational age. It can protect the neurons, kick things up into gear very early on, but if they're given late preterm, it can actually decrease some neuronal activity and myelination. Now, I'm going to show you that data, and it's wild. So the effect on the fetal brain from antepartum corticosteroids for fetal lung maturation is not uniform, all right? And so that's the first thing, the age of the child when the steroids were given and then when that child was ultimately born. Wow. I mean, it's just, I think it's fascinating. But to be very clear, ACOG still considers it a thing. Hey, consider it if that's part of shared decision making. And SMFM still says if you're going to do it, uh, just ad- adhere as much as possible to the criteria of the ALPS trial, the antenatal late preterm steroids trial. And SMFM's last console series on this was number 58 back in November 2021. And they're like, yeah, I mean, if you want to do it, share decision-making, knock yourself out, even though we have some concerns about neurodevelopment. Now, that was 2021. And in 2023, even as latest, uh, as most recent as August 2023, guys, that's just, uh, uh, what, three, four months ago, four months ago. Wait, let me do math. Five months ago. (laughs) five months ago, um, new concerns about running to do this, okay? Uh, Because the data there is is a little concerning, and I'm going to show you this. Now, even SMFM's um, guideline in console series number 58 from November 2021 is controversial. Because remember that in the original ALPS trial, they did not include pre-gestational diabetics. Okay, gestational diabetics... Uh, 10% of the ALPS trial were gestational diabetics, guys, 10%. So it was super low to even make any real analysis on that. Um, yeah, they're like, yeah, I don't know, 10% in there. We're just going to leave it at that. But they excluded frank diabetics, okay? And the reason they excluded frank diabetics, pre-gestational diabetics, was because of the fear of, well, steroids, are we going to kick them over into some kind of diabetic issue? And of course, the potentiation uh, for the child of hypoglycemia. Because remember that the ALPS trial did find that children born uh, after steroids in the late preterm interval had a higher chance of hypoglycemia in and of itself is not good, right? And because you all, you, the brain needs glucose to function. So see, nothing's free. We can help the baby's lungs in the late preterm interval by steroids at the expense of hypoglycemia. And I know what you're thinking. We'll just give the baby some sugar. Absolutely. But there you're chasing it and the hit may have already happened. All right? Wild, right? But it's controversial because while ALPS did not include, they excluded pregestational diabetics. And SMFM says, we, 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 we think it's okay to not give it to pregestational diabetic patients. We recommend against its use, right? Giving steroids in late preterm interval in, in pregestational diabetics, your class Bs, class Cs, whatever, your pre-pregnancy diabetic patients. Um, but the, it's controversial because others go, well, wait a minute. The patients who would benefit the most are the babies of diabetic mothers. Do y'all remember that? That fetuses of diabetic mothers, not just gestational, but true pregestational diabetics, those fetuses tend to have slower lung maturation. Okay, now I'm not talking about anatomically. I mean, functionally, the physiology, they have a slower activation of those type 2 pneumocytes. And so those babies tend to have more respiratory issues. So, I mean, ironically, the babies who probably need it the most are the, the babies of 
pre-gestational diabetics, but they were not included in ALPS. And SMFM says we recommend not using steroids in the late preterm interval for pre-gestational diabetics. See, controversial, super controversial. And there's institutions who say, I'm giving those are the ones who need it the most. And so I'm giving those patients steroids as long as the patient accepts it, knowing the date, of course, that uh, we have to watch the kid's sugar and watch uh, the mother for potential glycemic deterioration. Okay. Remember, this has nothing to do with gestational diabetics uh, because only 10% of the ALPS trial had gestational diabetes. They were not excluded. And SMFM doesn't talk about gestational diabetes as an exclusionary term, just pre-gestational diabetics. The point I'm trying to make here, guys, because if, if you're driving, you're like, Chapa, I stopped listening to what, where are you in this? Well, I'm going to tell you because I know I kind of got off the road. It's all right. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. The, <laughs> the purpose of saying this is even the original uh, design of the ALPS trial is controversial because they excluded diabetics, while some would say those are the babies that need it the most. And SMFM's guidance, which says we're all for it as part of shared decision making, just adhere to the ALPS criteria, which excludes pregestational diabetics. That is controversial. Okay. Wow. So do you see this? Controversy exists. It's controversial. And we haven't even got into the good part yet because. Let me just give you a little, a little, just a little teaser, a little appetizer, okay? Or as, or as my daughter says, an appetizer, an appetizer of what's coming. There is data, guys. Here it is in a, in, in a one-sentence nutshell, that exposure in utero to antenatal corticosteroids at any gestational age, where the child then delivers late preterm uh, or term, that child may have altered neurodevelopmental issues, along with short-term issues like uh, admission to the NICU, hypoglycemia issues, um, and, and need for uh, other support. Wow. So the big take-home here, number one, is I am not against steroids when done correctly. Number two, we need a better way to risk stratify and identify which babies really need this and stop giving steroids because she's contracting and she's one centimeter at her fingertip. Let her declare herself because now we're seeing that this conservative approach of just everybody get a steroid like Oprah, you get a steroid and you get a steroid could potentially hurt the child if they go on to deliver a term. Ironic or what? We want them to get the term, but at the same time, if we've exposed them to steroids, we may not have done them any favors. Crazy, okay? And now, also, I don't want to take this out of context or make this seem like hyperbole. The data that there's altered neurodevelopment is real. We've seen that in multiple studies and systematic reviews. Although the quality of evidence is not great, there's a lot of methodological issues, what they all agree on is that, hey, something is happening here, all right? If they get to late preterm uh, or uh, uh, or term, whether it's early term or full term, after steroid exposure, something is happening. What the studies don't agree on is what degree that is. What, what's that odds ratio? Some are like 1.2, 1.5, others are at 2. So very heterogeneous. And I'm going to give you those references in a minute, okay? And then I'm going to tell you which societies have totally backed away from steroids, especially in the late preterm interval. And no one, no one has canceled steroids off the, uh, off the option, uh, therapeutic option list, period, okay? But they have put the brakes on on these universals, just, just given steroids just because. The, and, and they put much more cautionary tape over the, that treatment to, hey, are you sure? Is, is she really likely to deliver preterm in the next seven days? And unfortunately, we don't have a great test of that. Remember, 
ACOG says 50% of patients who present with signs or symptoms of preterm labor will deliver at term. And that last set of data that came out that, that showed almost identical numbers was August 2023 in, in the most recent systematic review and meta-analysis that took a look at this data. Okay, so half, half will not deliver preterm. The trick is figuring out which is the right half that we need to give medication to. Now, let me just give you my perspective before I run into the data, okay? My perspective is, look, if they're more than two centimeters, regular contractions, history of preterm birth, and they're under 34 weeks and zero, document well, tell the patient, I, I, I really want to get this steroid in here. It's going to have great benefit because uh, I think you're going to deliver. Um, but if you don't deliver, I'm happy for you, but potentially there's these issues that, that are still kind of gray. Does that make sense? And the benefit is much greater uh, for those babies that were exposed early on and then deliver early on, the extremely premature birth. Th- that medication is life-saving. I have to be clear. No one, no professional organization has wiped steroids off of their list of therapeutic interventions at all. But some have taken it away from the late preterm interval and those who still support it in the 24 to uh, 34 week interval, they, they've just really make it a little bit stricter criteria where we're, we increase the relative risk that that child really will deliver within the next seven days. All right, why don't we take a quick little breather there, let that settle in, because I think that was a lot of info and I haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Let's just take a couple of seconds, breathe, chill out, relax. Stretch it out, stretch it out, shake it off, and then we're going to come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So remember I said that fetuses of patients who are known diabetic, not gestational, but pre-pregnancy diabetics, they tend to have slower lung maturation. Well, that's absolutely true. I trained with that back when we used to do amniocentesis for fetal lung maturity uh, in babies with unsure gestational criteria. We we did a tap, and then we send off the the fluid for uh, an LS ratio, less than the sphingomyelitin, uh, as a way to determine pulmonary function. Because if their LS ratio was greater than two, we're like, hey, you've got you've got crappy gestational dating, but your baby's mature because those lungs can function because of the LS ratio and the amniotic fluid. Okay, that was a thing. I, I trained with that uh, at Parkland. But if the patient was a diabetic, the LS ratio could be misleading because while the lecithin sphingomyelin ratio could be greater than two, those babies could go on to develop uh, respiratory uh, difficulty and distress. All right. Um, and so what we would do, you'd have to look for a very specific marker for pulmonary function, which was phosphatidylglycerol, PG. So, you know, patients would come in, hey, I'm here for prenatal care. Uh, we're like, oh my goodness, you're like 40 weeks. They're like, well, better late than never. I mean, that, that was our population, which is still my population now. We're like, great. Well, welcome aboard. Uh, we think you should be delivered because, you know, babies you probably needs to be 
delivered and you're like 42 weeks by best guess or whatever. I'm, you know, just, just go with it. Uh, and then we tap the fluid and like, oh, by the way, I've got, uh, you know, diabetes before pregnancy. We would send off that tap, not just for the LS ratio, but for PG, phosphatidylglycerol. And if that was positive, then we could go ahead and induce with relative certainty that respiratory insufficiency would be very low because as best we could tell by that amniotic fluid biomarker, child was ready. Okay, all to to make the point that we have known for a while that if any baby really should have help with respiratory issues, uh, would be babies, fetuses of of pre-pregnancy diabetics. So the fact that the ALPS trial excluded them, again, super controversial. All right, that's all I wanted to say about that. Oh, my goodness. So first of all, if you're thinking, wait a minute, we said tap. We used to do amniocentesis for fetal lung maturity. Yeah, for sure. We don't do it anymore. Uh, But totally a thing. I'm looking right now at the assessment of fetal lung maturity, 2001, and a summary of of lecithin, sphingomyelin ratio, and phosphatidylglycerol. And it states right here regarding PG, quote, phosphatidylglycerol is a minor constituent of surfactant that generally appears several weeks after the increase in lecithin concentration. Because PG enhances the spread of phospholipids on the alveolar surface, its present indicates an advanced state of fetal pulmonary maturity. There you go. I see you thought I was making that up. Nope. We used to tap people for the LS ratio and specifically look for phosphatidylglycerol in diabetic patients. Well, now that we've settled that, I love an editorial that came out exactly one year ago, February 2023, on this very subject here. This was in the Gray Journal, okay, the American Journal of OBGYN. And the title is Updating the Balance Between Benefits and Harms of Antenatal Corticosteroids. Yep, exactly what we're talking about here. And the first sentence here in this editorial, in this commentary and literature review is, quote, the benefits of antenatal corticosteroids, when judiciously administered, are indisputable, end quote. See, that's the catch. When they're judiciously administered, what does that mean? Um, giving it to those babies who are likely going to deliver preterm and within seven days of a course of steroids. The problem is, and even this editorial has it, is trying to predict which babies are actually going to deliver early so we don't imprint them. Uh, that ability to do that accurately is super hard. I mean, even the original trial guys that showed steroids could help fetal uh, oxygenation and lung maturity, that was the Liggins and Howie study. Liggins and Howie. That came out a long time ago. Okay, That was actually published in the journal Pediatrics in 1972. When you read that original publication, okay, that's the Liggins and Howey trial that started this whole thing for steroids. Before this, guys, steroids were given, but it was kind of, you know, experimental, controversial. They were the first ones to go, hey, this, this is kind of a thing. This works. This can reduce significant morbidity and mortality when children are born early. But even in that original cohort, they figured out that one in three women delivered more than seven days after the steroid administration, including late preterm and term. Okay, so that was 33%. They're like, oh, well, most of the benefit seems to be within seven days. And one of three women are going to deliver greater than seven days. And a lot of those went on to deliver late preterm or term. So like, oops, I mean, you know, trying to do the right thing and being super conservative um, sometimes that's not the best because now these, these babies have taken a hit 
uh, of steroid and then go on to deliver at term. Now, they didn't have these long-term neurodevelopmental studies like we currently have now, but there was still enough there to go, ooh, you know, the, the fetal brain is super susceptible to steroids. And if, if we kind of get them ready, like, hey, you're coming out, you're coming out of the uterus, get ready, get ready, get ready, here it comes, and then nothing happens, that imprinting effect, we now know, because that science has now evolved, and I'm going to tell you what it is in just a minute, there are real changes there, guys, all right? That's why the, the goal is not to not give steroids, but to give it judiciously. Specifically, the most of the benefit is under 34 weeks when we're pretty darn sure that that woman is going to deliver that child within seven days. That's why let's stop giving steroids for one centimeter. She's half fingertip, you know, contraction like every 10 minutes, but no cervical change. Hold off until we're pretty sure that the benefit is going to be greater than any potential risk. Wait, wait, wait. Let's do devil's advocate because I know what you're thinking. Hey, man, you make me wait too long for this, this woman who thinks she may be threatening to preterm labor, and then I'm going to miss the window, and the child's never going to get medication. I get that. This is the difficulty. Exactly. We don't want to just give it super early and then, oh, crap, well, she didn't deliver. Um, well, yay, that's great, but now the baby's got steroids on board. Um, so what do we do with that? Versus, holy crap, she was one centimeter you know, three hours ago, now she's eight. So, well, there we go. Now, we do have data, of course, that even though the maximum benefit is 24 hours after the second injection, right, 48 hours after the first, up to seven days, we know that there's some benefit even as early um, uh, as six hours extended to 12 hours. So just unless it's eminent delivery where the steroid won't have any benefit at all, um, still give it. Okay, because even if the child has some exposure within six hours, up to 12 hours of one dose of steroid, it's better than nothing. Now, if the child gets a steroid injection, then delivers two hours later, it's probably not going to do anything. Okay, that's just not helpful. So this is the balancing act. Y'all get this. Take home point. Big clinical pearl. Giving it super early and then they stop labor. Probably not good. Waiting forever and then they miss a critical window where steroids could help. Definitely not good. Man. See, that's why medicine is both a science and the art. This commentary, this editorial from February 2023 in the Gray Journal says it super well. Quote, we have known for greater than 50 years that timing is everything in regards to steroid efficiency. But the precision in our timing has not improved. And that's just because we just don't have a great way of, of figuring out who really needs it, who's really at risk, and who will deliver within seven days of medication administration. That's just the reality of it. Okay, podcast family, here's, I got to slow this down. I got to slow the roll a little bit because I don't want you to lose this. Look at how controversial this is, okay? I told you that I was going to tell you just like we did with the Mirena, oops, sorry, with the levonorgestrel 52 milligrams uh, intrauterine system as emergency contraception. I told you in that episode uh, who was for it and who was against it. Uh, let me tell you where we stand uh, as of right now, as of early 2024, late 2023, with regards to steroids in the late preterm interval specifically, all right? Because as we said in the intro, in 2016, when the ALPS trial came out, I mean, everybody was like, woohoo, we're on, yeah, we're going to, let's, let's reduce neonatal respiratory morbidity. And then people started figuring out, well, wait a minute, those are short-term issues, um, and there could be some real potential long-term things here, uh, including the effects of neonatal hypoglycemia. So, boing, 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 I mean, people started jumping off uh, the, the bus really quickly, all right? So, even though people jumped in 
between 2016 and 2019, uh, including the college. Look how things have changed. In 2022, the Green Top Guidelines, that's guideline number 74, Green Top Guidelines, if you haven't heard of that because you're in the U.S., I totally get it. But if you are across the pond in the U.K., you totally know what those are. Those are equivalent to our committee opinions from the college, right? Green Top Guidelines are from the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, the RCOG, okay? So our sister organization in the U.K., they release Green Top Guidelines, and it's Green Top Guideline number 74 from 2022. You all see that, guys, not long ago. Remember, 2016, everyone was like, this is good. Look how things have changed. 2022, green top guideline number 74, now no longer extends the recommendation for antenatal corticosteroids beyond 34 weeks and six days. Okay, now we cap it here. Our routine is 33 and six, but the UK does use it until 34 weeks and six days, all right? So in other words, just right before the 35th week, all right? And it depends on how you read it. We've talked about this in the past. Um, so for us, it's all the way up until the 34th completed week, which is 34 and zero, okay? So our last dose is 33 weeks and six days. The UK uses 34 weeks and six, okay? Now, so we all got that, okay? Royal College says, nope, we're not gonna do it past 34 and six, also, the recommendation for late preterm antenatal corticosteroids was entirely removed, not even a shared decision-making, it was just taken off from the European Consensus Guideline on the Management of Respiratory Distress Syndrome in 2019. All right, so you've got Royal College, you've got the European Consensus Guideline that says, yep, we're not even going to talk about it, it's not even shared decision-making, we're just not going to give it. Now, look at FIGO. The International Federation of Gynecology and Obstetrics in 2021. Do y'all see these dates, guys? So 2021, 2022, 2019, these are, these are relatively recent. In 2021, FIGO, quote, specifically advises against the routine use of antenatal corticosteroids after 34 weeks gestation, end quote. Wow. So FIGO's like, nope, we're not going to give it in the late preterm. Short uh, benefit for neonatal respiratory stuff. You're like, we can do that. We're just not going to mess. We don't want to deal with anything potentially long-term. Questions remain, so it's no. So FIGO says no. Now, remember what we're talking about here. They don't say no to steroids in general, just no to the late preterm administration. All right? Now, let's give you one more because this is an important one that we're going to let you know how there's a call towards college and SMFM to revise that their allowance as shared decision making. Okay, the World Association of Perinatal Medicine. Yeah, that's another organization. The WAPM, the World Association of Perinatal Medicine, also advises against routinely administering steroids after 34 weeks. And they stated that in 2022 in their clinical practice guideline, quote, because of uncertainty regarding the risk-benefit ratio, end quote. We're going to wrap this up quick, quickly. If you think it's just them, look, it's Germany, Australia, and the Swiss Society of Gynecology and Obstetrics also have all stated, yeah, we're not going to play with this thing in the late preterm interval. We're just going to stick with what we know, which is up to 34 weeks. Wow. So I told you there's a lot of people that are putting the brakes on this, especially in the late preterm interval, and are calling for more judicious use. Make sure that that patient really is at high risk of delivering 
uh, preterm and ideally within those seven days of administration. Now, in this editorial, again, from February 2023 in the Gray Journal, I'm going I'm, to then we're going to go into the science. I want to tell you, I, I just wanted to give you these uh, conflicting society, societal guidance and positions. And then I'm going to tell you why they have this. All right. Because remember, we've what well, we've already stated. Timing is everything here. How the brain response. I'm not talking about the lungs, how the brain response uh, to steroid exposure in utero has to do entirely with when the baby was, uh, how many weeks the baby was, and then when the baby ultimately delivers, all right? So in this editorial from 2023 in the Gray Journal, here's what they say, quote, we urge, right? So that's pretty strong, guys. Not, hey, we, we, we ask them to consider, or, you know, you might could think about it. No, no, no. They say, we urge national societies and organizations like the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine and the American Academy of Pediatrics, they just throw them in there too, to update their guidelines for antenatal corticosteroids. End quote. Well, updated how? Updated by putting, putting the kibosh on late preterm steroids. So I'll be very clear right now. ACOG, SMFM, AAP, they're like shared decision making. But then you do have these big voices, guys, these thought leaders. Again, this is an editorial from the from the Gray Journal, um, February 2023, that are that are calling on the college to to revise that allowance. Is that interesting or what? This commentary says it beautifully. Listen to this quote. The SMFM proposed primary quality metric is based pragmatically on this question. Quote, do you think the baby will be delivered within a week? End quote. Well, if the answer is affirmative, then ACS, that's antenatal corticosteroids, may be needed. If not, perhaps ACS should be withheld with a wait-and-see approach based on close clinical monitoring, frequent reassessment, and individualization of treatment. Here it is, guys. Listen to this. Here's, here's the big bomb dropping, okay? Although it is accepted that the clinical context may change in hours or weeks, the decision to give antenatal corticosteroids should be a thoughtful and considered action rather than an, an indiscriminate reflex, end quote. Wow. I mean, that's, I don't know about you. I think that's powerful. Like, ah, uh, she's contracting. She's 32 weeks. She's had a contraction every 10 minutes, you know, maybe every 15 and she's fingertip. Ooh, give her steroids. No, 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 no. Wait and see. Wait and see. And the reason is, as I've already said, and that's a take home, we are imprinting the child. If that child goes to late preterm or term, which is great, we don't want them to deliver early. But if they are exposed to steroids, we may not have done them any favors. Yes, we're going to talk about the signs here in just a minute. But if you're wondering where I stand in all this, I'm absolutely in agreement with this. I think the benefit of steroids in the late preterm interval, the benefit of, of some minor respiratory you know, reduction, uh, you know, need for accessory ventilation, positive pressure ventilation, is, is there and is kind of weak with the potential long-term issues, all right? Uh, so I, I'm not a fan, which is told, look, guys, it's okay to change your opinion. Because when this first came out in 2016, 2017, I remember I took that to our group. I'm like, woohoo, this is, this is, hey, I think we can do this. I talked with our neonatologist, uh, who again is super evidence based. I mean, he's head of Baylor College of, of, of Medicine uh, for uh, neonatology. And we're like, yeah, okay. And then the data started coming in. Hey, these babies potentially have some neurodevelopmental issues. 
Um, and now the new data is it's not just those who got into the late preterm interval who go on to have neurodevelopmental issues. It's any fetus who had exposure to steroid who went on to deliver at late term or um, uh, early term deliveries. They also have some potential for risk. So this is the take home message. What, what's before I give you the science? What am I trying to say here? Be cautious. Give steroids when they are needed. And when they are needed, without a question, is 24 and 33 and 6 with shared decision-making starting at 22 weeks. And right now, though, the college allows for late uh, uh, preterm, early-term uh, uh, steroid use as shared decision-making, think about it. And at least tell the patients what's going on. Remember, plenty of people have pulled the plug on that in the late preterm interval. Also remember, as a take-home message, that up to 50% of patients who present with signs or symptoms of preterm labor will deliver at term. And I told you that one of the most recent publications that uh, that showed this was just in August of 2023. And that's absolutely true. I mean, you can look that up. Uh, that was published in BMJ. And the title of this uh, systematic review and meta-analysis is, quote, the proportion of term or late preterm births after exposure to early anti-corticosteroids and their outcomes, systematic review and meta-analysis of 1.6 million infants. Guys, that was August 2023. Exact same stuff. It just keeps repeating. They said, wow, like 50% of babies end up delivering uh, late preterm, early term. And yeah, it's it, we see the same thing. Any exposure to uh, in utero steroid had some short-term issues. And according to the systematic review and meta-analysis, yeah, that potential for altered neurodevelopment. Again, wasn't huge. It was very uh, uh, moderate uh, quality evidence, but it's, it's, it's concerning enough that it definitely wasn't protective of, of altered neurodevelopment. It was all suggestive and a higher than one odds ratio for some altered neurodevelopment. Those calls coming towards the college to uh, rethink about its guidance, it's not like they have an axe to grind with the college or some, you know, it's something personal with them. It, it really is the data, guys. So think about it. You've got the ALPS trial 2016 that showed benefit. But listen to this, because the action trial did not show benefit for steroids in the late preterm interval at all. Yep, there was another publication, which was from 2022. This is from the World Health Organization, the Action Trials Collaboration. And this was an, another randomized, this was a double-blind, placebo-controlled trial of late preterm antenatal corticosteroids, just like ALPS, guys. But this didn't get all, why didn't this get the attention? Everybody got the attention when it was like, hey, maybe this can help with ALPS. But the 2022 publication from the World Health Organization, the Action Collaborative, did not find any benefit. Let me read you exactly the conclusion. Quote, this double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trial of late preterm corticosteroids showed no benefit for perinatal or neonatal morbidity and mortality and was stopped before completion because of lower-than-expected prevalence of the primary outcome and slow recruitment, end quote. So they're like, hey, we're going to stop this because it's not really doing anything. They didn't even get to their study end. 
And so it's not all about Alps. Now, if you're thinking, wait a minute, I I never heard of that. Well, it's in e-clinical medicine. I'll post the link on our reference page. But it was the WHO, the Action Trials uh, Collaborative. And the title was Antenatal Dexamethasone for Late Preterm Birth, a Multicenter Two-Arm Parallel Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Randomized Trial. Now, the criticism for this, all when this thing came out in 2022, you can hear it already, right? They're like, ah. That's not the same as the Alps. Alps was beta-methasone. This is dexamethasone. Um, they're both ACSs, corticosteroids. They both have a benefit. But you see how everybody has to pick on something. <laughs> and so when this came out, because it was, and I don't want to mislead anybody, it was not beta-methasone. It was not celestone. It was dex. But whether it's dex or beta-methasone, it still leads to that controversy that they stopped the trial early because it just didn't seem to do anything. And they're like, well, we're just not going to pursue that anymore. So while the Alps showed some benefit for beta-methasone, you have the WHO trial saying no benefit. All right, everyone, let's start wrapping this up. Um, Here's the science behind what the brain does once it sees steroids in utero. Wow. All right. And it totally depends on when that child saw it based on gestational age. The fetal brain is super vulnerable during 34 to 36 weeks gestational age in that late preterm interval. During this time frame, the oligodendrocytes responsible for myelin synthesis undergo their most rapid growth and 50% of the cortical volume and 25% of the cerebellar volume have yet to form. Do y'all get that? So 34 to 36, brain is doing stuff. It's working. It's laying down the bricks. All right. So hold on. It's been reported both in animal models um, and in some, some in vitro assays that ACS given at this time, 34 to 36 weeks, leads to reduction of neurotropin-3 levels, and that's an independent risk factor for altered neuronal and myelin synthesis. Wow. Neurotropins are a family of neuronal growth factors that are critical for fetal brain development, guys. And this is why this is an issue, giving steroids in the late preterm interval. Quote, when very preterm infants are exposed to ACS, that those are the ones who are going to benefit the most, right? Here's what they say. And this is all coming from the commentary of February 2023 in the Gray Journal. These authors go on to say, Quote, when very preterm infants are exposed to ACS, the neurotropin levels increase, possibly explaining the lower rates of intraventricular hemorrhage and better neurodevelopmental outcomes in that gestational age in those children that were born extremely preterm. Let's stop there for a minute. Did y'all get that? How the brain responds to steroids in utero depends on gestational age and when that kid is born. In other words, we turn on the, we flip the switch uh, very early on uh, and, and we go, hey, get ready, guys. You're gonna, you got, your brain's got to work. You're going to come out of the womb. And the brain's like, I'm ready. So you turn on protective factors mainly linked to neurotropins early on. However, when you give that same medication at 34 to 36 weeks, you turn that switch off. You can affect a time when the brain is going through a lot of rapid cell division, myelination, and growth. In this commentary, they make the point that it's not just what's happening to the brain uh, in terms of, of turning on the switch or turning down the switch based on gestational age, but it also has to do with programming just the body in general, right? That little fetal body in the entire system that gets that shock of that corticosteroid 
and then goes on to deliver at term, right? Late preterm or early term, those children, you can actually quantify this, they have altered cortical regulation. Guys, there's some imprinting in utero of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis that leads to altered cortisol uh, flares. And you can, they can, they've measured this in these children. So let me read you this quote, and then we'll start bringing this uh, to a close. Quote, an increasing number of reports suggest that in addition to adverse short-term outcomes, there are long-term adverse effects when steroid administration is followed by term delivery. Okay, so the the biggest hit is when they're developed fully at when they're born fully at term after steroid exposure, and then less of a hit when they deliver late preterm. Although there's still some issues there, but here's what the science here's what the, the this commentary this editorial states quote the concerning report states altered dineural cortisol regulation at eight to ten years of age, which persists even when adjusted for covariates, end quote. In other words, that steroid exposure, and then they get to late preterm or term, there's some kind of imprinting, not just physically in the brain, but also physiologically, because it affects, it takes that hit to the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So as we bring this to a close, what's the take-home message? Stop giving steroids willy-nilly. The whole idea of, well, let's give it, it can't hurt, is wrong. And be judicious. The best benefit for steroids, which everybody agrees, is for children between 24 and 34 weeks when born uh, after a course of steroids up to seven days. Uh, at the tail end of that, on the other extreme of 22 and zero, it's shared decision-making, and then late preterm, which is not only controversial, but some professional societies have flat out stated against giving it. Um, consider that a lot more gray uh, with very small short-term benefits uh, with some potential real issues as it affects brain development and priming of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. But to be very clear, ACOG and SMFM and AAP right now still consider steroids in the late preterm interval to be part of shared decision-making. Podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. No, I'm not against giving steroids when they're indicated, but I am against giving steroids willy-nilly, and I don't like giving them in the late preterm interval. Guys, just let you know how many articles we've all read in our brief time together for this episode. I'm looking at our reference list now, and we covered eight publications, all recent, including ACOG Committee Opinions, Practice Advisories, the ALPS Trial, of course, SMFM's November 2021 Console Series number 58. We talked about the uh, Howie and the Liggins Trial, the WHO Action Trial, and the last publication, the Large Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis from August 2023 from BMJ. I mean, lots of stuff. And we even threw in a little clinical pearl about phosphatidylglycerol in the amniotic fluid. That's eight publications that we have reviewed and however this ends up being how long when Mike trims down stuff. I'm thinking this is like 45 minutes, I'm hoping. All right, podcast family, I hope you found that helpful. And as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.